0: in traditional therapy training, we're taught that a patient is never supposed to sleep with over compression class two garments. And coming to your clinic um, in Sweden, in Malmo, you know, I was visiting you and we had the a few days of training and, and seeing those patients who are actually wearing much higher levels of compression at night for sleeping, compression class three and some even compression class four uh, successfully and with without any complications or having any problems was really um, a very interesting and and eye-opening experience.
1: Okay, well, welcome to the Vascular Radcliffe podcast. I'm Laura Redman and I'm taking over the VEIN podcast from Steve Elias all the way from South Africa and my interest is vein and lymphatics that's where my whole practice is dedicated to so we're starting the podcast actually with the topic of lymphedema and we're going to look at the real understanding of lymphedema and patient satisfaction and on the web on the podcast today i have dr hakan brawson all the way from malmo in sweden who's pioneered a lot in lymphedema and the treatment thereof and susie davey who's a lymphedema therapist um, a specialized therapist and occupational therapist as well, and she sort of got lymphedema going in South Africa, and we both have been to train with Dr. Browson in Sweden. So I think what we'll do is just start with you, Hakan, if you can give a little bit of an overview about all your research you did many years ago in, in how you got to understanding the real pathophysiology of lymphedema, and that it's not just abnormal fat in the Swedes as you presented before. Um, And yeah, a bit about that initial research.
2: Okay. Well, actually it started in the mid nineties and um, I presented the first 28 cases I operated on that was patients with arm lymphedema following breast cancer treatment. That presentation was in Madrid in 1997 and I show all these patients with very large arm lymphedemas, up to about two and a half liter, that they were completely reduced within three to six months, and it stayed there during that follow-up time, which was about two to three years. And uh, I had people thought I had manipulated my pictures because complete reduction of uh, uh, chronic, very large lymphedemas was not possible before. And uh, then I heard a few comments, as I mentioned to you before, that maybe that is due to that Swedes are uh, eat different food than around the Mediterranean, or I have never seen it. That must be something peculiar for Swedes. And a third guy said that liposuction of lymphedema is uh, science fiction, and that gave me the force to show what I've seen clinically in the operating room when we just remove fat because we remove uh, fat from non-pitting edemas. And we first, the patients are treated conservatively to get rid of all the fluid. Uh, And we use a pitting test. We press as hard as possible for two to three minutes on the Uh, forearm or uh, lower leg and uh, really press hard up to the pain threshold of the patient. Mm. And then we estimate the depth of the pit in millimeters. So if we have uh, like say four or five millimeters in an arm or five, six in a leg, then we know that most of the excess volume is adipose tissue. I'm
1: just going to interrupt you a second there because one of the um questions or things that still aren't very well accepted in some in some centers is that there's actual adipose tissue and i mean i know you've done that research as well and we've seen it and we've taken it out um yeah but that was part of your research as well as actually proving that it's adipose and not just fibrous tissue there
2: yes so uh so, so we went into research and showed with compute tomography and dual-emission X-ray of that there was around 80% excess fat in a non-pitting lymphedema. So we continue with the liposuction, and we now have 25 years follow-up for arms and more than 15 years for legs. And no patient is lost to follow-up, so we have keep track on them all the time. And uh, there is still no recurrence, provided that they use the compression garments as we have prescribed 24-7. And that they get the amount of garments that is needed. It's like, uh, for example, if you have diabetes, you have to individualize the amount of units of insulin that you give. Some needs uh, fewer units and some needs more. For example, uh, a 70 year old lady active might need two garments every six months, while a young man with the metastasis of melanoma in the axilla and has been treated needs to come every three months or one month. So during the first one or two years, we, we see how much does this peculiar, particular patient need in order to keep this fluid uh, uh, to recur. And um, then we send the patient back to their therapists all over Sweden and also abroad And once a year, at least, I get volume measurements and they are put into uh, our quality uh, program so I can follow them even if I don't see them. And uh, uh, the reason for adipose tissue is that lymphedema leads to chronic inflammation. And when I published my papers, there were papers coming up. Now we do these in animal models. And there you can also see that there is uh, excess adipose tissue. So, if an untreated lymphedema has uh, around 50% fluid and uh, 50% fat, then you then remove the fluid. And if the arm or leg are still large and cumbersome for the patient, then you can carry on with liposuction. Looking in the textbooks, going back, it said that it's just fibrosis. And it's quite rare I see the fibrosis because I see it more in male patients in the lower leg and in, in, the, in the females with a more um, masculine deposition of fat or distribution of fat. But that's quite rare. Uh, of course, there might be some very fibrotic lymphedemas, but since we use pyroassisted liposuction, we can penetrate those fibrotic areas and get rid of the fat. And also the rigorous compression we have afterwards. Uh, You know, if you have a scar, you can treat it with compression and fibrous tissue is like a scar. So that might also influence the the decrease of uh, fibrous tissue. It's very difficult to measure fibrous tissue because it has the same density as fluid. So Mm. it's difficult. So this is how we work in Malmö and we are now doing genetic studies of the fat together with uh, Kare Alitalo's lab in Finland, and uh, we hope to publish uh, these data soon.
1: And have you found uh, an actual difference in the type of fat apart from it being more fibrous? That is. Yeah, we
2: from- recently published a couple of months ago that uh, what you would expect actually that uh, fat cells in lymphedema are larger than in the control side, so the patient is its own control, and also that, Uh, fat cells in the arms are larger than in the leg, but uh, it's more academic uh, knowledge, so to say, you need still to treat these patients. And uh, for example, leg lymphedema patients, we use double compression. We have all those flat knitted. So two weeks before surgery, we uh, take measurements on the healthy arm or leg and we get the garment within uh about a week so we use three garments one is sterilized and that just used for two days and on the second day after the surgery we put on a class three garment and then daytime on top of that a, a class two and during nighttime, they can sleep with either class one uh, class two or three and then uh, after the patient has come home after a week They change every other day. They are in hospital for four days. So they change every day. So every morning they take on a clean shrunk garment, class two and three. And in the evening they remove one of them. So it's important that they have two garments of each. And then the durability of these, as I said before, can depend from three to six months, but not longer.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay, and we'll come back a little bit to that um, just now. I just wanted to also get Susie a bit involved here. So I think we both trained under you in order to bring this technique of, we call it debulking, yeah, in South Africa. Um, And, you, I mean, you've trained you've trained units together, one of your prerequisites is that you go as a team to train. And I think that's a key thing and that it's not just a surgical procedure that you need the team approach because most of the management actually comes from um, compression garments itself um, and the pre-op and post-op preparation. So I don't know if Susie, if you just want to comment a little bit on, on that part of the procedure.
0: So the fact that um, I think it's fabulous that we did have to go as a team, thank you for um, encouraging teams to come together Um, because um, obviously with regards to doing the treatment for the liposuction and the debulking, the compression aspect of um, ensuring that the patients are compliant and really understanding the whole process of what the debulking is all about, right? Because the liposuction is just one aspect, um, but the whole um, the the treatment before having the patient go through, with regards to the um, the conservative treatment that Hakan had mentioned, how important that is that the patient has to be reduced um, as much as possible beforehand before having the liposuction procedure, and we've noted that as well. Where you know when you do that, um, the the compression, the um, checking the pitting edema and holding it for two to three minutes and really seeing if there's still pitting edema, um, mm-hmm. how vital that is. Because one can hold for just 10 seconds and, and really say, oh, this patient doesn't have a lot of pitting. But when you actually do the pitting edema test properly um, to really decipher how much pitting is there and then to properly do the, the complete decongestive the therapy um, to really reduce the, the patient to a state where they're prepared for the surgery. I think it is so important. And I think we've been successful thus far in the few patients that we've had um, to, get, to get that right. Um, and then with regards to fitting the patients for the compression garments, has been a, um, a learning curve. And, and it's been really interesting because you know, in traditional therapy training, we're taught that a patient is never supposed to sleep with over compression class two garments. And coming to your clinic um, in Sweden, in Malmo, you know, I was visiting you and we had the, a few days of training and, and seeing those patients who are actually wearing much higher levels of compression at night for sleeping. Compression class three and some even compression class four uh, successfully and with, without any complications or having any problems was really um, a very interesting and, and eye opening experience.
1: You mentioned a good point there, because I kind of also wanted to bring up with that very strong compression that you do. um, Essentially, you must be reducing microfiltration and reduction of actual lymph formation. Is that correct?
2: Well, that is a thought. I mean, uh, you know, we don't use MLD, uh, which is a part of CDT, uh, uh, because I have 45 papers that have shown that the MLD part of CDT does not contribute to volume reduction. And the latest publication about this was by James Alma now in July. Uh, anyhow, so what we did in the beginning, we had patients that had a lot of pitting. So we used what we kind of uh, invented the controlled compression therapy where we took in the garments. Uh, we had a kind of randomized study So we took in the garments and saw the patient maybe every three, four, five weeks. And some patients were very good at taking in the garment by taking in more narrow uh, measurements on their garment. So they could come back after five, six weeks with three to four seams on their compression garment. That helps a lot because then they could be back on work and if you do the bandaging, which is also very good, but uh, uh, sometimes it's quite bulky and the patient cannot uh, work during this time. So we found this uh, much easier. But nowadays, when we have a referral, I ask for the name of the therapist and then I send an email to her or him to tell what we want. We want the patient to have minimal fitting and that day before the, the patient comes to us, it used to wearing two layers of garments daytime. And by that, the patient has uh, been accustomed to wear it 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have just been using it daytime, but now they are mentally ready to have two garments on and uh, it has helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't see a patient before I get the excess volumes, the amount of pitting, and how what kind of garments and how many garments are prescribed for a certain time period.
1: Yeah, I think that is key. And I think I only realized that when Susie bought the bandaging, you didn't realize what a huge difference that decongestive therapy makes to really get that fluid out. Um, And you're right, you're right about the patient preparation um, in order to achieve those, those correct outcomes.
2: And also the larger the, the and the more motivated the patient is to really go into this. If, if you just have, I mean, our limit is 10% excess volume. And um, I mean, if we have one with 50%, they are really, uh, they really want to do this. And also I don't operate. Uh, leg lymphedema with a BMI that is over 30, where we also deduct the excess volume. So if you are like 90 kilograms and the excess volume is four liters, we deduct four kilograms from the patient's weight and then we calculate the BMI. And if it's over BMI, they have to lose weight because when the leg gets larger, according to Laplace's law, the, the pressure is inversely related to the r- radius or diameter. And when you have this large size, even if you had triplet compression, it doesn't give that compression you want. So we want them down to a BMI less than perfectly, and then it, it works fine. So it's more
1: for the compression use for the BMI. OK. Yeah. OK, excellent. And I must say, I think after doing this, you say it's a debulking. So it's, um, I mean, you want you, it's a, quite an intense procedure, but not that technical. But from my side, I've never had um, happier patients with a more positive outcome in any in any type of surgery. Um,
2: I, I agree. I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon from the start. I put in knee and hip prosthesis, and patients said, okay, that's good. And But when I came into lymphedema, uh, they're quite different. They are, have been having this for a very long time. And when they see the reduction, they are very, very happy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm.
1: No, I think it has been the most rewarding. Um, As you did, you, you want to chat a little bit about the patient selection and preparation, because I think we've learned a few things about that here in, in terms of outcome.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, like, as you've pointed out, Hakan pointed out, Um, I think we are in disagreement with regards to the manual lymph drainage portion of the the preparation, but everybody has has the right to their own opinion. I do think with regards to the lymphatic drainage, whether it actually helps to reduce the volume or it actually helps to uh, decongest the tissue and soften and and remold the, the tissue integrity. I mean, we can feel it with our hands when we're actually doing it. And whether that could happen solely with the bandaging and without the manual lymph drainage, I've always done it together, so it's hard to, to decipher that.
2: But It's like a religion. I, yeah. I, <laughs> and I've been to the further clinic and I asked them, why do you use MLD? I have 45 papers that states that the massage component does not contribute to the volume reduction. And if you skip that, you can, you can uh, treat maybe two or three times more patients. And the, the doctor said that, well, you can't change it because it's in the walls here. That <laughs> <laughs> he agreed to the statement.
1: I think maybe Susie has a, a point. Was, I don't think it was going to, it's not going to make that huge difference in volume reduction, but maybe mm-hmm. for the tissue, the skin consistency and. Um,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. With the tissue integrity and just you can feel it I I, I just the softening of the tissue is it's a whole nother level when you add the component of lymphatic drainage, but I think that's a that's a conversation, maybe for another podcast that we can we can debate this there's a lot of papers that actually sure. show the benefits of manual lymph drainage and, yes, you can you can pull up. Is just as many, if not more, papers that refute how it's successful or how effective lymphatic drainage is. But the bottom line is, is that it is a component for now in most places, and and there's thousands and thousands of therapists worldwide that make their living off of doing this, and and patients do um, buy into it, and they do, and they do feel results, and they do feel relaxation, and there's value to having that that effect on the patient as opposed to just doing bandaging. So, but with regards to the preparation of the patients, um, that that Laura and I have definitely seen with the patients here in South Africa, that I think the biggest component that I've, I've the takeaway for me is that how important it is. I think that once the patients are reduced with the conservative treatment, whether that involves lymphatic drainage or just the bandaging, most patients are having lymph drainage with bandaging. I think that getting them into that that flat knit compression, right? Because that's what you always recommend. It's not about circular knit, it's about really that containing. It's about having a garment that's going to contain the reduction. And with flat knit, it is the ultimate, the, the, the ideal best quality type of garment that's going to be comfortable for the patient and safe for the patient to wear 24 hours as opposed to a circular knit. Um, and I think that the, 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 the factor of the containment is what's important. So getting them fitted once they reduce before surgery and getting them fitted for a compression garment for daytime and nighttime has been in the few patients that we've done thus far has been what has led to their success or part of their success levels is that they were using compression for day and night before they came into the surgery. So like you mentioned, it's, it's really a psychological preparation because it's one thing to say, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say, but actually having to wear a compression for daytime and nighttime is, yeah. is, is, is a whole different experience. And I think a lot of patients are so desperate, they'll say they'll do whatever you need them to do, but they actually need to do it and to feel it and to live it and yeah. to understand what it actually entails so that you are gonna have a higher level of success. And I think you know, part of it is you, you wanna do a procedure that the patient is going to be able to be successful in. And you've proven that, Hakan, with all of your years of experience. But I think, I think in my opinion, I think it's crucial that patients really understand what they're getting themselves into that the garments, they have to be able to afford lifelong the garments to be able to be replaced for daytime and nighttime. Um, and I suppose at some point they could, they could bandage themselves at night if they, you know, on occasion, if, if the garment is feeling too tight and they're not comfortable, but ultimately they have to have compression daytime and nighttime and flat knit is the easiest thing to be able to, to don and dock ultimately. Um,
2: after surgery, we, we use no other things and the compression no mld or CDT. yeah and i think the uh, the mld component has another psychological benefit that the patient if you are close to the patient they feel the touch and the release of these well-being hormones it's like going go to the hairdresser and get your hair washed and (laughs) you talk about (laughs) gossip and things like that and uh, it's something that we forget but Looking at volume reduction, uh, it has no uh, change according to what they have written in the papers. Mm. Uh, that's okay. it.
0: Well, I we'll have to do more research then to prove how effective MLD is mm. because I know I think that we have to structure the study properly.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: But Actually, I, I know
2: that it's difficult to, to change something that has been learned in school. Uh, and, and if you skip the MLD part, uh, it does because this is very strict when you learn it. And uh, it's difficult. I mean, in Sweden, no lymph therapists or physiotherapists or occupational therapists use MLD in the hospitals. There are some private ones that go through massage and no compression, and that is uh, crazy.
1: Yeah, you'll have to do a skin study. I think uh, the post-op, that, that idea is really that really tight um, compression to stop lymph formation again, mm-hmm. sort of like in the giraffe leg. We learnt about <laughs> always learn about that. Um, and then part of, um, you know, this treatment, which I said is so satisfactory for patients and, and has been so rewarding in that there is a bit of a shift in medicine, you know, not – that all treatment must be more life saving, but more improvement of quality of life. And I think that's also how it came about. Um, and after doing our first patient who had severe lymphedema from radiotherapy and a groin lymph node dissection, um, she reported back on the improvement of quality of life because she was fit and healthy and in good shape, but it was difficult to exercise. She couldn't wear shoes. She couldn't wear clothes, has a psychosocial effect. They get infection. And that difference of, I think, how things had changed, you could see, you know, their whole lives change and that they're more motivated for everything. They're happier with their family. It's it's small things they can do. I remember saying she hadn't worn a shoe for eight winters and always had a cold foot because nothing fitted in it. So a lot of them are secondary lymphedema, as you know, more than the primary. And um, you're wondering, if do you have focus in Sweden or in Europe on picking lymphedema up early, if it's po- post-surgery um, for breast cancer, auxiliary surgery or in the groin? Do you monitor them or do any preventative work?
2: Yes, they are followed by... General surgeons and uh, lymph therapists affiliated, mostly done, I think, in university hospitals, and uh, uh, they use volume measurement. They also use uh, moisture meter, and some use bio impedance. But most maybe feel that moisture meter is easier. I mean, you could detect more fluid in an arm or leg that uh, does not yet show any volume difference, uh, but We just take those patients that uh, have had the conservative treatment with minimal pitting. So it's not up to us as plastic surgeons to follow them. It's their breast cancer surgeon uh, that has to do that. And uh, it varies from hospital to hospital. But all hospitals have lymphedema therapies. Uh, But going back 30 years ago, there were uh, very little of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's an area that definitely needs more awareness because if that slight increase in size was detected, you know, they could get better garments or something from the beginning to sort of avoid this. And that's why we actually were, were going to get an oncologist on who can't get on now. Um, we referred a patient, though, she had stage four breast cancer and had had radiotherapy before, and the lymphedema was more worrying for her than anything more dysfunctional so i think it's such an important aspect to treat
2: yes we have also studied the uh, uh, quality of life in patients with arm and leg lymphedema and uh, there is a significant increase in quality of life after liposuction yeah. due to the volume reduction and uh, i remember one patient from australia that we operated on in sydney and she had more than 12 liters in her leg and uh, uh, after six months, she could not even walk up the eight steps to the outpatient clinic. And then she sent a small video from Sydney Harbour Bridge, 1390 mm-hmm. steps uh,
0: sure. after
2: three months. And that was great. And she did a uh, round the world trip. She lost 50 kilograms. She was a runner before and has started running now. So uh, sure. she was very happy. No, it's really fantastic.
0: Yeah. Our patient here in South Africa, also the first liposuction patient, lower extremity. She's running her first marathon, I think, on the 17th of October, wow. coming or this week, or whatever weekend it is that, that falls. Do you so have a
2: picture of when she's coming to the
0: yes? She, I will be there. Yes, yeah. yeah, <laughs> she will, or she
2: has she has already run. No,
0: she's going to be running, so I'll have to be okay, there. Okay, you have to, to take, take a photo, yeah, definitely. And send it to me yeah, as absolutely.
2: well.
0: Which race is that? Which marathon? in cape town um i i don't know it's it's definitely a i don't know the name of it two oceans is that it the two oceans marathon
1: okay she's running excellent
0: fantastic Mm.
1: in south africa the big thing is the expense but that's what we try to motivate as well um because i mean with this whole pathophysiology it's not a cosmetic procedure, and I think that's what we're trying to get medical aids and medical insurance on board. It's exactly like the old school idea of debulking, those Charles procedures and those barbaric procedures, but now, you know, keeping that skin intact, which is important.
2: Mm. Yeah, we are lucky in Sweden, so uh, the patients pay uh, out of pocket 30 euro for a one hour visit, and then uh, uh, they get their garments free
1: wow yeah that's really great especially because like uh, you should
2: like... say that if you go to the <clears throat> internal medicine diabetes doctor and he says you get just one vial of insulin for six months this patient will end up in the emergency after a couple of weeks so yeah. so you it's, it's a medicine and should not be regarded as a static thing that lasts forever
0: mm.
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a good argument
0: and it is, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's used for six months. So it's a medicine that's, that's, that's used for six months. It's not I a one off. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so if you break it down to how much it actually costs per day, if it was a pill that you had to wear per day, I mean, it's actually kind a, a, quite a reasonable expense as opposed to them being hospitalized for recurrent cellulitis infections or other medical complications that happen down the road with these complications of the lymphedema or health issues that develop from it.
1: Yeah, I think, and the long-term effects are often overlooked. It's um, mm-hmm. you can everyone's reported on them being more active, so they're going to prevent obesity, cardiovascular disease, psychosocial, the whole thing. Yeah, I think ultimately the cost saving is
2: worthwhile. Yes, um, and we so- also <clears throat> published a paper regarding mm-hmm. bouts of erysipelas uh, before and after uh, lymphedema, mm-hmm. and. Uh, The number of bowels per person per year was reduced by 87%.
1: kind I wanted to ask you again about your research. And there was an article I read in, I think it was in Nature, about them looking for the adipogenic factor that causes lymphedema. And some describe inflammation and some describe free fatty acids as a potential cause. Do you think that's a possibility?
2: Well, if it's written in nature, you you have to go for it. But uh, according to what I've read so far, it's the lymph fluid that is in the interstices between the skin and the muscle. If you measure uh, inflammatory uh, molecules, uh, they are there. And these inflammatory molecules are then upregulating the genes responsible for transferring uh precursor fat cells to normal fat cells that is I think the ongoing uh, thing right now but of course free fatty acids there is no paper yet that has shown that any diet has to do anything with decreasing lymphedema, other than if you lose weight and your excess mm. volume will decrease but um, it's an inflammatory reaction and um also, that this kind of speeds up uh, the inflammation, low-grade inflammation that upregulates these adipose genes.
1: Yeah. no, I don't think it was a proven thing, just a suggestion. It might also be that they more toxic and stimulate inflammation if they've leaked out of the lymph.
2: Yeah, maybe. It's, but yeah. the free fatty acids is, is, is more from the gastrointestinal tract, not from the the arms or legs i mean you have the uh, the fatties from the guts that take up the fatty acids Uh, but uh, i don't think you have that in arms or legs
1: yeah they were starting to find things that weren't thought were there but i think a lot is still unknown
0: (laughs) so yeah yeah do
1: you think there's any potential for stem cell um adipose stem cell injection to regenerate lymph
2: that uh, was an interesting question. I was the opponent of a thesis in Denmark uh, three years ago, where they took stem cells and injected it into the axilla. And the outcome was uh, nothing happened. OK.
1: OK. <laughs> so,
2: <well. laughs> I think and the then big- we have the, the bio bridge, which is now promoted from a big company in the States where you have this scaffolding that you kind of go from the armpit and out uh, from the arm and uh, out to the lymphatic tissue. Uh, But that uh, that still needs to be proven that it works. I don't believe in it personally. And then you have the uh, injection of vascular endothelial growth factor C into uh, lymph nodes or into the area where, let's say in the axilla, to facilitate the growth of lymphatics. And animal studies uh, made this, uh, showed that there is kind of sprouting of the lymphatics, Uh, but the problem is VDFC has a very short half-time duration. So then they infect it together with a virus to keep it longer. And then you see a little more sprouting in the mice, but they never catch up with the lymph node. And if it doesn't work in mice, I don't, I'm not sure it works in men. But there are ongoing studies. We will see uh, these are done in Finland and in conjunction with uh, Stockholm and Uppsala.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think it's an area that's becoming more of interest and more researched. And I think I must just ask you, as you're a plastic surgeon, and we've discussed all this. If you'll just make a comment on the microsurgical techniques for lymphedema.
2: Yes, um, I can say uh, how long do you want me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I make it short. Okay, so I was at the World Congress on lymphology in Athens, and be to many. Uh, uh, societies like American Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery. I've been in the panels there. And I noticed that uh, during the years, they also do liposuction in conjunction with a microvascular procedure, like no transfer or LVAs, like and anastomosis. And they do it in patients with pitting edema. And uh, they put compression on afterwards. And they say, look how nice reduction we have. And I asked, um, it? Is it due to the LVAs or lymph node transfer? Is it due to that you have uh, compression afterwards? Or is it due to perception? And uh, well, that's a like combination, maybe. And so, forth. <laughs> so why don't you do microsurgery in Sweden for lymphedema? I said, it doesn't work. Because if you look at the lymph vessel in the four stages, the first stage is when you just cut the lymphatics, then you might be able to connect the lymph, uh, lymphatics with veins adjacent veins, uh, and that is doing now with the lympha procedure which comes from Italy and, and Francesco Boccardo, and also done in a few places in the United States. still about five percent of them get lymphedema, just as many as get lymphedema after uh, 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 this. Uh, a central node technique. Mm -hmm. If you go to the second stage with dilatation, well, then the lymphatics and the valves are coming apart. So these lymphatics are already incompetent, like beans are incompetent. And -hmm. then you go to the third stage with more fibrosis when the smooth muscle cells in the walls became fibrotic and the normal pumping mechanism does not work. And then the fourth stage, you have these lymphatics like eels in rigo They're completely stiff. They don't move and, and they are occluded. So if you should do microsurgery, it should, do, it should be done when you remove the lymph nodes, but still we need to have long-time follow-ups. And then we also should know that not all patients get lymphedema. So should you do it in 100% of the patients or how to select these patients that uh, maybe already before the breast cancer treatment has uh, decreased lymphatic transport. That has been shown by Peter Mortimer in London. He did liposyntigraphy on normal arms and uh, uh, the arm where the patient should remove the lymph glands. And he showed that in the normal arm there was delayed transport. Mm. So that's uh, another thing to think of. And uh, For the United States, uh, if you ask the insurance company, I want to do reconstructive uh, liposuction. If they hear the word liposuction, it's no-no. But if you do reconstructive lymphovenous transfer or node transfer, then you get money. And then you do for free (laughs) liposuction to get the results. (laughs) And then I can tell you, Uh, Corinne Becker uh, uh, started with the lymph node transfers. And um, strange enough, when you hear her, I heard her now in Athens. She said, there are no complications. Everybody gets nice legs and arms. There were actually um, a doctor in physiotherapy, a physician who followed 28 of these patients. And uh, they actually had, 1,058 milliliters before excess volume, and the same after lymph node transfer. Seven had a donor site uh, lymphedema in, in the leg, where they had taken the lymph nodes from the inguinal region. Uh, five had lymphocelus, four had persistent uh, donor site pain. And there are also other from Barcelona, they also reported cases, also from Helsinki, with the problem with lymphedema where you've taken the lymph nodes. So. I think it's like, an, I would say that it's an experimental surgery and we still want to have this uh, honest surgeon that really shows you out uh, the, the long-term results. And I've, I have a slide. That I tell them, have compression on before you do the procedure and remove the garment for one week and you remeasure the excess volume and it's gone up. And then you put the garment on again and remesh after two weeks and it's gone back to the baseline. Now you do your microvascular vascular procedure. Mm. You put the garment on afterwards and then after three months, you remove the garment. If there's no increase, microsurgery is successful. If it increases, it's not successful. Nobody has done that before and uh, still waiting for that.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, so I think we're going to have to wrap up now because of time. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's a topic we could speak for hours on, but I want to first thank you both very much for joining. And I must just say a little summary on the whole lymphedema. So I think the listeners will understand Well, the primary and secondary lymphedema fluid will eventually change to adipose tissue. And the only way to get rid of that really is by liposuction and debulking it in that way. And a patient needs to be well prepared pre op to get all the fluid out and well prepared for post op to wear the correct garments lifelong, day and night. So, a team approach is very necessary. Um, but there are the most satisfying operations and the most and the happiest patients, I think. So thank you again, Hakan and Susie, for joining and I hope we can have f- further discussions in the future. And um, we just need to create more awareness of this treatment and its outcomes. Yes. And then yeah thank you thank and we'll you and yeah you know, we'll have our next our next web uh podcast is on is venous d- disease over treated so but uh, on the other side of the spectrum <laughs> find a treating in lymphedema okay thanks so much
0: thank you
2: Laura. Okay,
0: thank
2: you bye-bye